Hello everyone, I hope all of you are keeping well. Welcome to this episode of Not To Get Political. The first thing that you might have noticed is that I'm sat in a different seat because our setup has changed and we hope you like it. However, that has come with some complications. We've had a couple of sound issues. So in this episode, I'm going to sound a little bit muffled, but don't worry, we're going to get it sorted and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Not To Get Political, the podcast where we delve into the world of politics and hope to remain unscathed. Today we are going to be discussing the very serious issue of SANR within British politics. This is a trigger warning, we are going to be discussing some very uh, hard-hitting topics, so this episode may not be the one for you. To discuss this with me are two members from the grassroots movement, Our Voice Matters. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us on. Could you start by giving me your mission statement? So um, I founded Our Voice Matters in August because I was so shocked at the vast amount of sexual harassment within political parties, not only in elected officials, but also just in members. So our mission statement is to try and lobby parties to um, pressure them to take action on sexual harassment. Now, obviously, sexual harassment has been a big topic within British politics over the last couple of years or so, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement. Um, there was a report in The Guardian last year that found that over I think it's 56 MPs are currently facing allegations of sexual misconduct or just misconduct in general including three cabinet ministers um what is this is this a surprise to you or i think part of it sadly isn't a surprise and i think what's more sad is the 56 mps these are the ones that we actually have allegations of to get that to that point is already hard this is just the tip of the iceberg and our goal it, it is to make sure that people feel safer in making these allegations and for victims and also so that there's actually action taken because right now it's far too easy for people to get away with um their conduct so i think sadly it's not a, really a surprise that so many mps are facing allegations why do you think they i mean i'm trying to think how to word this so 56 mps that that is a lot um regardless of how you spin it cross party we should add um, why do you think they believe that they can get away with this? I think that there is a real big culture of privilege and sleaze within Westminster, especially within certain parties and um, also like a certain demographic of MPs. So I think just more kind of general in politics, they think that they can get away with a lot of stuff and why there's so many scandals, especially with like, you know, the COVID scandal, the lockdown parties. And I think it's all kind of embroiled into the same thing and it's all linked together. You mentioned demographic of MP, certain demographic. What did you mean by that? Um, we are seeing a vast amount of primarily old white middle-class men who are involved in these scandals. And I guess that kind of feeds into the recent scandal currently involving Crispin Blunt at the moment. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, if I, to be honest, it's, it's so, it's such a regular occurrence now that these allegations against MPs are are made that unfortunately, I think to a certain extent, a lot of people aren't surprised that there's just another MP. Um, Obviously it's, there's still allegations, but um, we, we do have to, uh, know that um, false allegations are very rare um, so yeah it's it's really just disheartening but also I think it makes us more determined um, for our movement to make sure that um, we actually get stuff done. 
Because with that case, they first revealed that a, they said a prominent Tory MP has been arrested on suspicion of R and uh, possession of drugs. Um, and then it was obviously people started trying, kind of guessing who it is, almost sensationalised it in a way. It's kind of like with all these um, uh, allegations coming about comedians from the early 2000s, and it's like, oh, a new comedian's going to get exposed. And it's like, the, these are people's lives, and there's a very there's a seriousness to it. And obviously then uh, Blunt uh, sort of outed himself as the person. What role do you think the media plays in sort of covering this stuff? And are they helping or are they um, cause doing more harm than good? I'll answer that one. I think the media plays a really important role, but particularly within Blunt's case, he defended Imran Khan back in, I think it was 2015, when he was convicted of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy. I think it was 15. Um, so I feel like people having these suspicions a lot of the time, then there are reasons. I guess a part of it is in the case of Imran Khan, for example, he sexually assaulted a 15-year-old boy in 2008 and he receives an 18-month sentence. You look at Charlie Elfing, for example, who, um, or I believe it was three counts of essay to, against two women, received a two-year prison sentence and only served half of it. Clearly, the sentencing isn't, isn't anything, uh, isn't good, and we can talk about that in, in sort of more detail on. So, where, well, in sort of regard to that, what do you think about that? I think that there needs to be a whole reform of the justice system, especially as myself, not um, through politics. I've been through the justice system against men before. And the way that I was treated as a victim was traumatic. And it's actually put me off ever reporting ever again. Um, even though I've had kind of worse cases happen to me since, it took over three years. Um, and he only got, I think it was 20 months in prison. Even though he'd been in prison before, he was known to the police. He was already on the sex offenders register. So I definitely think the whole justice system needs to be reformed and especially with the culture of privilege within Westminster that contributes to a lot of the cases where they're let out early and also they're elected officials so people think that they're kind of free of any misconduct and because they're elected. Yeah but I think another part of it is almost like the um, especially sort of the moment it's almost like it's not more what they've done, it's more the party that they're associated with. And that's perhaps influences people's um, sort of judgment on these cases, if you will. I know a lot of people that would see allegations against a, a Tory MP and would say, nah, get rid of them, get them out, get put them in prison. But if it's a Labour MP, they'd be like, no, let's wait till all the evidence sort of comes out. And I guess both of you being members of the Labour Party, how do you think that the Labour Party is handling allegations of SA and R? I do. Um, I can't comment on any individual cases, but I know from being involved in the party, almost every single girl or every single girl has a story of being made to feel uncomfortable, um, especially by people in prominent positions. They use their kind of privilege and the power imbalances to blackmail victims, gaslight them. Victims don't think they're going to be believed. So in terms of handling the cases, I think cross-party, something needs to happen because it's not only the fact that reporting isn't as effective as it could be, but it's also the power imbalances, the gender imbalances, the age imbalances, so all parties that makes the victims a lot more scared to speak out because of blackmail and gaslighting and stuff like that. I guess that, that was in the case with uh, Jerry and Davies, I believe, who is currently being accused by five women over the course of several years of misconduct and in one case one of the accusers was 19 years old he's been an MP since 1997 current 63 so there is clearly a big 
sort of age divide so as you've mentioned that go with sort of, with all of these issues i mean just we, should we generalize and say that it is predominantly men that are inflicting this what do you think that men can do to make women feel safe at these events i think just listen to women what listen to what women say um obviously everyone's different so people what what might make someone comfortable might not make another comfortable but there are more general things men can do to make women uh women more comfortable i think but i think the most important thing is to just listen to women to what they say because as men we are in a position where there, there's a power imbalance um and you know we we live in a patriarchy um and so a lot of the t- a lot of the time we think we understand we really don't and the only way we're going to get closer to um, solving the issues and understanding and being good allies is really just through listening to women their experiences and trying to act upon well what they tell you we can do to help do you think part of it is also i think particularly on the left there's a lot of men that would who are left-wing would probably think i know what misogynist looks like i know what a sexist is like um and wouldn't necessarily acknowledge that some of their behaviors might come across as being sexist misogynistic that sort of thing yeah i both of you can answer, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I let women speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've seen people who, who say they're feminists, and you know, they, when they're talking, they, they genuinely do sort of understand certain issues, but you can tell by the, the language that they use that there is clearly, they're not really understanding that. Their, their language and their conduct could be seen as misogynistic or sexist. Um, and I think that just goes to show that even if you are a feminist, you're still a man. You still haven't experienced what women experience. So we really have to just listen to women. One of the things I've noticed is that I know uh, there's also like a sort of a race element as well, where there are some men that would be would say like the most, and I'm, I'm admittedly guilty of this in the past like they would say an incredibly sexist thing but because they specify that they're talking about white women it's like seen as being okay chloe what's your sort of um so i'm saying this as a white woman but obviously feminism and intersectional feminism acknowledges that as a white woman i'm of i'm the top privilege of women i'll say um but also as a working class woman there's so many different kind of aspects that go into it I think this issue is very kind of contested because what I found personally in a lot of far left circles, especially a lot of leftists, leftist men, for example, focus on class and then they completely disregard women. Um, And they say, because I'm working class, that's kind of the most prominent oppression. And then they just kind of ignore the fact that they're still white men. Um, so a lot of the time when people say white before the word women, when white men say it, it really does kind of get on my nerves because it is just a way of masking the misogyny. However, we do need to acknowledge the fact that white women are still, um, they still contribute to the patriarchy against black men, against other men of color. So there is kind of an aspect of it that I... It's just looking at it from different perspectives. It's a multifaceted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So with sort of party conference culture, because obviously we just had conference season and what a season it was, um, <laughs> you know, um, what's that like at these sort of events? The very because it's it's not just you know listening to policy and ideas. It's also meeting people that you haven't seen. There's the social element that's so big in, in party conferences. 
Um, so what was your experience like at Labour Party conference, if you don't mind me asking? Um, so my experience at conference was interesting. I did not feel that safe there. And I know a lot of my friends felt the same. Um, there was a lot of times I'd say to my friends, oh, this has just happened to me. And then they'd share that the exact same thing happened to them from the exact same person. Um, so we've kind of got like, it's like an informal network of girls where you kind of, you know who to avoid and stuff like that. But um, I know for me personally, I was out every single night and being drunk as well made me really vulnerable. And I mean, I have some responsibility the fact that I did drink a lot, but some of the stuff that I experienced was really traumatic and it really did ruin my time there. And I think even even just normal conference, like at the events, I had men stalk me. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I live in Liverpool as well, which yeah. doesn't help. And I, yeah. yeah. So I felt really unsafe even just during the normal events. Also social media as well. So many men messaging me being like, oh, are you a conference? Yeah. And then they kind of, because you are both a conference, they kind of see that they deserve to meet up for a drink or that they deserve to, you know, hang out with you because you're both going to be in there in person. And you just kind of have to establish your boundaries. And a lot of men, like, they're, so they're quite... That, so at, the, at these events, do you feel like there is, like, a, a point of call that you could go and speak to someone who could deal with it? Not at all. No. Um, it's so informal as well so for example a lot of the nights out even though they were organized they also weren't kind yeah. of so they weren't officially affiliated and everyone's drunk there's even the people that are supposed to be watching and supervising and making sure it's all going okay i don't think that there was any i i'm saying this as someone who's quite i look out for stuff like this i can confidently say i did not see or know of anything that made me feel more safe because, I mean, th but this is the sort of the thing, and I guess this kind of shows how sort of widespread it is, and it's not confined to like one particular particular party. Um, so, what um, channels do you think uh, political parties in the UK should be um, introducing to tackle issues of allegations of SA and R uh, more effectively? So, at our Voice Matters, we are advocating for better sexual harassment reporting procedures, just in general, because the wait times and the procedures. Are just terrifying um a lot of the time as well a lot of abusers know what they're doing they know how to get it so that you don't send evidence so um i don't know if you saw recently but there was a case in the news uh, not to do with politics but a police officer was found guilty yes, I'm, I'm familiar with the case, yeah. yeah i think it was over 200 girls he contacted he used snapchat to contact them and he knew what he was doing, obviously. And Snapchat, if you're familiar, which you probably are, there's not any evidence. Um, it gets deleted straight away. So abusers know what they're doing. And that makes it a lot harder for victims to be believed because especially in politics as well, elected officials and people in positions of power, you need, well, the parties need evidence for them to kind of remove them from these positions. It's not just about, let's say, like a school where you can get suspended. It's yeah. a lot more kind the, of like... The case you were referring to is uh, uh, a former South Wales police officer called Lewis Edwards, who posed as a boy on Snapchat to bring more than 200 girls. He's been jailed. Um, yeah, at least 210 girls with 207 photos of them found on his devices. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he used Snapchat to communicate with most of them. Um, so yes, as I was saying, our voice matters. We're aiming for better, better sexual harassment reporting procedures, including better transparency of the procedure, wait times, more support for victims as well, direction to external services, which a lot of people don't know about. There's a lot of external services uh, that you can go to. For example, um, SARCs, which are SA referral centers, I think it stands for. You can go and get free pregnancy tests, free STI kits, free medical examinations. So a lot more support for the victims as well, because it's not always about the justice um, and punishment for the perpetrator. It's about ensuring that the victim is supported. And that's we're a very victim and survivor led um, organization. And we're quite proud of that. So within um, Our Voice Matters, what's the what's the sort of makeup of the of the movement? Um, So we've got members from different parties. We've got Labour members, Lib Dem members, also do we have Greens, we have Greens yeah. Tories, SNP, yeah. and also um, different regions as well. So Scottish, Welsh and Ireland. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really important to us that this is not a partisan effort. It's it's a cross-party effort to, because it affects everyone. It affects everyone in politics. And we think so, you know, some things are just more important than your political affiliation. Um so yeah, we're really proud that we are very diverse in in many different ways. And it's definitely widespread. I mean, we've seen on uh, with Lib Dems, for example, there's been a couple of allegations that have been made. Um, I spoke to a member of the Conservative Party uh, on Thursday, I believe it was, and I mentioned that we were doing this recording, and they said to me, I've, I've got a few stories to tell. So I think we can see how sort of widespread and normalised it is as well. But And also what from listening to, to you guys talk about this, there seems to be it is like sort of the higher ups and will the people that are established within the party doing this sort of stuff and i guess that kind of feeds into people's perceptions of how they sort of perceive you have you had any opportunities that have um perhaps been sort of rescinded or you've been perceived in a different way in light of making various um uh like allegations i guess if you don't mind me asking i have never reported anything just because if I reported every single man that's done something to me I would be there for years um but I did a speech at Labour Women's Conference about my experiences of SA and it was women's conference and I felt a lot more safer being able to speak in front of lots of women I had so many women come up to me and say thank you so much for sharing that I've had the same experiences um I had a couple of trans women come up to me and say thank you so much for including us in your speech because no one else has and that's like that really upset me it was it wasn't that inclusive so I feel like if I'd said all of this at main conference I would have received a lot more backlash I know a lot of my friends have made reports or just spoken out about stuff and they feel like their position in the party has been diminished that they've kind of been blamed for because politics is about like elections and it's yeah. about um people having positions and stuff. And if you report someone who's in a higher position, that person gets suspended. People are going to be angry at you because maybe that person was really good in other ways. It doesn't diminish the fact that they're a sexual assaulter though. I think if if I may add something, I think the the cultural sort of political goal scoring is mm-hmm. is really hurting this because you know, if you make an allegation against a politician or just a prominent person in politics, you, people immediately assume that you're trying to sort of um you know derail them, derail them. Um, i guess in the case of crispin blum for example because he's been quite critical of uh the conservatives his own party and uh labor's position on palestine for example a lot of people seem to have you know got this sort of idea in their head that he's being smeared 
because of his support for the Palestinian people. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, also I saw on Twitter when uh, the, the first reports came out, obviously at start his name wasn't mentioned. It was only mentioned that it was a Surrey MP, a Surrey Tory MP. And immediately you start seeing sort of people start a guessing game um, and people saying, oh, I actually I was quite disgusted by people saying I really want it to be this guy or I hope it's this Tory. Um, you know, I think certain things are just, as I said, bigger than party politics. And we have to until we recognize that, I feel like um, victims allegations aren't going to be taken as serious as they should be. So what advice do you have? Um, I think that was I'll completely agree with that. Um, so what um, go, people going through the process of reporting are an essay within political parties. What advice do you have to those people that are going through that process? I've already mentioned this, but there's a lot of external services available. Um, so there's also a lot of charities. So, um, for example, I'm from Liverpool and in Liverpool, we have Rasa Merseyside. Um, when I was president of the Feminist Society, we did a lot of fundraising for them. Um, I would also say don't let power structures and threats kind of put you off reporting people. That's what we're trying to strive for, our voice matters. We're trying to make people feel more supported, more safe, less gaslighting, less blackmailing for victims. So we want them to feel as safe and supported as possible. So I guess my top tip would be don't let the political nature of it put you off. I think if I can add something as well. Unfortunately, right now, the process is quite it's bureaucratic and it's not transparent that's obviously something we're trying to change but um but in the meanwhile if you do decide to um, make formal complaints get the support you need get the mental support you need because help is out there people there are people who who are willing to people who are who li- will listen to you as a job um so get the mental support you need because it's from what i've seen it's a very mentally straining process um and yet yeah, you guys are planning to launch on the 3rd of November? First. 1st of November. Yes. Yeah, first of November. You're launching on the 1st of November. Um, what do you hope to achieve within the first year? I want a more grassroots approach to this issue. And that's why I'm so proud of the organization for being so diverse. Um, it's got so many different experiences. We've got people who have been through the process themselves, people who have been through the process but haven't reported it, people who um, haven't experienced it at all for example like let's say men who are just really supportive of the campaign so that's what I kind of want to achieve um but in terms of more solid goals I would quite like to see one thing that I'm really passionate about is the fact that young branches in parties are quite a big issue so for example in labor the age limit is 26 and it starts at 14 Conservatives, 25. Young Liberals, which is the Liberal Democrat, Youth Wing is 30. And the Young Fabians is 31. And obviously we've seen the issues with that. It's a really wide range of ages. So let's say on an... And experiences as well. Exactly. On an executive, you could have a 14-year-old officer and a 31-year-old officer working together. So more safeguarding in youth branches, I think we really want to achieve, especially as a very youth-led organization. I think that's quite achievable. Um, even if not to change the age range, just make it more safe for young members to get involved. Well, maybe sort of create sort of device. So you have like, you know, your 14 to 18 cats yeah. you may be. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's 
I and I've been a member of like three. I weren't aware that that was yeah. a thing. That's so. I I do understand it because obviously the age range of Labour is or, or just any political party in general is just quite high. So obviously, if you're under thirty, then yes, you're going to be of the younger generation. But it doesn't change the fact that you're going to be having fourteen-year-olds work with thirty-year-olds in a space that they're supposed to be safe because it's a young branch. But in reality, like it's so different. It's and I too vast. Yes, the thing is, we want more young people involved in politics, and yet if they're going through these experiences where they're being harassed um, by older people, it's going to deter them. It's going to put them off. And I guess for sort of the continuation of almost, I, I, I hate. I don't want to use the term party survival. Um, I, help me figure out what term I'm trying to look for. But you want people, you want it to continue and you don't want people to be yeah. put off by their experiences. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then walking away, someone who could transform the way that things are done, the way that the the ideas that come in. And yet because of one bad experience, they're put off for the rest of their lives of ever getting involved in this sort of stuff. I mean, ultimately, tackling these issues is is pivotal for, for the democratic system as a whole. I mean, people, you know, people, voter turnout is going down people people are saying you know we have a crisis and um a participation crisis well if when mps when so many mps are you know alleged to to have um committed essay or sexual violence you know people are going to start distrusting our our mps and the institutions so actually and personally i would like to see sort of a cultural change because you know you can introduce as much policy and legislation as you want but fundamentally this is a grassroots thing we need to um and it's a cultural mindset that which is allowing um mps to think they can get away with these things um have you approached any mps to work with you so we are beginning it as a grassroots campaign that engages with internal procedures so we did kind of consider a lot of stuff such as like we could have right to our MP templates um, or we were going to contact some MPs to help us. But we realized the issue is internal. The issue is with people my age, people who aren't that well known. It could also be people who are quite well known. So we, I don't know how effective engaging with MPs would be. I don't know if you disagree. It's definitely something that we have explored, I think. You know, in the future we might uh, do so. I think there's definitely something better. But I agree, it's it's mostly at this point a a grassroots movement, and we want to keep it that way, um, because ultimately this is something that affects every tier and it's it's everything. I mean, we talk about Westminster, you know, obviously con- like things like conference. This is just regular members who are who are harassing people. Um, so. Yeah, we, we want to keep it a grassroots movement, but obviously working with MPs is something we are considering. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> that sounds weird to say I've enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> it's been an interesting conversation. Yeah. It has. We'll, we'll say that. Um, before you guys go, it's going to sound silly. Is there anything that you would like to promote? Um, so we are launching on the 1st of November. So by the time you're watching this, we should have hopefully launched if everything goes to plan. And you can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter is OVM underscore UK. We also have a website, which is OVM.org.uk. And if anyone is watching this and you're in an organization who would like to support us, please get in contact. We would appreciate all the support. 
And if you are a victim watching this and you've kind of related to anything, I hope you're okay. <laughs> if you want to say anything that you don't know, speak. <laughs> um, yeah, so just please, if you're going through any sort of anything and just please get the support you need. There is help out there. Uh, um, yeah, that, I think that's all. And to all of you listening, thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. And uh, yeah, please give them follows and uh, any attention that you can. Uh, thank you.